Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And as Daryl Bricker told us um, earlier, the president of Ipsos, healthcare is still the number one issue in this country. We're going to talk some more about uh, healthcare. I just want to tell you this. I'm receiving lots of emails to uh, Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. Where can we listen back to the uh, segment that you just aired with the president of the uh, Ukrainian Council and um, and with Mr. Vrzhnevsky? You'll be able to go to our web page, which is now globalnews.ca forward slash Roy Green. Globalnews.ca forward slash Roy Green. It'll be there for you to listen to and or download as you choose shortly after this broadcast ends. So let's get to the issue of uh, of healthcare. It is the number one issue that affects everybody. You ask people, what's the most important thing about being Canadian? What sets us apart? It's our health care system. Everybody will tell you that, or most people will. Yeah, not so fast, Bunky. Things are changing, and not for the better. So again, we spoke yesterday with the Canadian Medical Association president about what the CMA describes as the collapse of Canada's health care system. And today we're going to talk about nurses, as nurses across this country are burning out, quitting their jobs, or leaving for better paying jobs with more stable hours, perhaps in the United States or elsewhere. Nurses are also fearful, I read, about growing numbers of incidents of physical attacks as patients and their families take out their frustrations over the healthcare system failure on frontline nurses. Linda Silas is the president of the Canadian Federation of Nurses Unions. Ms. Silas will uh, be attending the Council of the Federation meetings beginning in Victoria tomorrow. All the premiers and territorial leaders are there, and ultimately the provinces will administer health care in their jurisdictions. Uh, so, Linda, thank you for coming back on the program. It was, it was so disturbing to hear Dr. Smart talk about the kind of trouble that we're in in this country. We know. Because I'm sure millions of us know somebody who is caught in a line somewhere, isn't getting the treatment they require, or cancer patients not being diagnosed quickly enough. From your perspective, how much trouble is our healthcare system in? And if you were to compare healthcare in July 2022 to healthcare in July, I don't know, 2015, wasn't great then. Uh, how much worse is it now? Well, good afternoon, Roy. In 2015, uh, we were looking to improve our healthcare system. Everyone was talking about improvement in mental health, home care, pharma care. That's what I would have been talking on your show back then. What we're talking now is the survival of our system. Uh, Dr. Smart uh, is right. We are very concerned as healthcare uh, workers in the system. How can we treat patients? How do, can we treat people living in Canada with a system that is so understaffed? And some politicians don't get it. They think if they increase the bed count that that will work. Well, a bed is only a bed if you don't have the appropriate 
uh, healthcare professionals to take care of the patient, and we're in a crisis right now. So let's talk about the nurses whom we represent. And I read a story the other day about a Toronto nurse who left St. Michael's Hospital because her work hours were just unacceptable. They were unbearable. And the stresses and strains that she felt. So she moved to Texas, where she has stable work hours, salaries three times what it is in Canada. And she, she regretted, I read, leaving this country and leaving her friends and family. But it seemed to be the only thing that made sense. I'm paraphrasing. You've said that one out of every two nurses, if I understand it correctly, one out of every two nurses in this country is thinking of quitting. Yes? Yes. And I read the same story, and I hear those stories over and over. It's almost like employers, health employers, don't care or really don't know what to do because it didn't make sense for somebody to don't, not to sit with that nurse and say, what will it take to keep you? I was flying uh, from New Brunswick to Victoria uh, yesterday morning, and a nurse, 60 years old, said, Linda, I retired. I couldn't take it anymore. And nobody even asked me if I wanted to stay, if they could do something to make me stay. And she has 40 years of experience underneath her belt. Wow. And that's what we're hearing every day is nobody gives. Um, one of those nobody things. Nobody cares. You know, I'm trying to be very polite here, but nobody cares. They see me as a number, and they force me to stay beyond my shift, not caring that I'm tired, not caring that I have a family at home, and not caring that I'm putting my license in jeopardy every time I work understaffed and overly tired because something could happen to my patients. It is, it is unbelievable. I'm not saying I don't believe you. Mm. It is unbelievable, within the greater context of the word unbelievable, that in our healthcare system, which is so stressed, and people are dying in, because they're not getting the treatment they require, that a, f- a nurse with 40 years' experience, nobody even cares if she leaves. You want to leave? Okay, bye. That's, mm-hmm. that's outrageous. When you have, when, when the situation is, the, people, the hospitals and medical facilities are understaffed. Let me ask you this. Are there nurses lining up by the thousands to step in and take these positions that are becoming vacant? Uh, now, lining up is a big word, but I think they would. You know, if they no, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just asking, Linda, are there, are there many, many nurses in, in reserve who don't have a job now who are just waiting for one to become available and are ready to jump in and get at it? So if I look at the province of Ontario, since you mentioned that one, only about 57%, I might even be lower today, work full-time. So what do we do with those part-time nurses? How can we convince them to work more hours and commit to them that if you increase your hours, that will be it? We won't be asking you to do mandatory overtime. We will respect you. How do we commit the casual nurses? Or those who are 60 years old who felt they had to retire early, how can we bring them back? I think they're there and they're willing. And that's my message to the premiers this week. We need to work together to give a little bit of hope at the end of the tunnel so we retain all that experience and we, we keep the system alive. Do they listen? Do the premiers, if you get this, so they're all together, <clears throat> pardon me, sitting at the table, mm-hmm. the premiers and the territorial uh, leaders, 
They're all sitting at the table, and you you share this information with them. Mm-hmm. Dr. Smart shares the information with them. I'm assuming that somebody in their offices has already made them aware of the situation of healthcare in their province. Do they actually listen, or do their eyes glaze over and say, oh, another submission, I can't take many more of these? In other words, are we getting, is the patient and are the healthcare professionals getting the support and the representation from the provincial leaders that is required when you're there tomorrow? You see, they hear it from more than nurses, more than doctors. They hear it every time they walk down the street. Uh, We know that primary care, which means uh, what is about 5 million Canadians don't have either a family doc or a nurse practitioner. They hear that every day. They know their neighbors didn't get their hip surgery or their cancer treatments being delayed. They know that nobody was there taking care of them when they were in the hospital. So they hear the same stories from every end. And that's how you change political minds is really when everyone's on the same page. What we're going to be telling them, we're with you. But we're also telling them that there's not one province or territories that will be able to fix this mess by themselves. They need the federal government. They need an agency. They need all the experts, all the best practice around the world. Let's examine this together and tell that 60-year-old nurse, I want you to stay. I need you to stay. What can I do? To tell that 35-year-old nurse who has two kids, I commit to work with me. I will commit not to force overtime on you and give you good nurse-patient ratio so you can feel good about your job. And, of course, help our students, our internationally educated nurses. The list of solution is long, but right now it's only a list on paper. We really have to work together and get the federal government at the table. It's a nonsense that uh, we haven't had a discussion with the federal government on all of this yet. Yeah. You know, people say healthcare is free. Well, but if you can't get it, what does that matter? And it's not free. Because you pay for it with your taxes. Exactly. It's 8% of GDP. So all the products we do in the country, 8% of it goes to pay for just healthcare workforce. It's 12, 13% for everything else, the bricks and mortars, but just our workforce. So those those are big numbers. They're huge numbers. Mm -hmm. And again, you point out one of the most significant numbers, and it's not dealt with. I mean, I hear it over and over. I've used it over and over. And, and it's just like throwing, I don't know, something at the wall and it slides down on the floor and just lies there in a puddle. And, the, and that is that 5 million Canadians do not have a primary health care provider. That's almost, that's, that's, that's almost, that's about 17 percent, 15 or 17 percent of our national population. I'm just doing rough math here. Mm-hmm. Um, has no primary physician or go-to or person. Nurse practitioner. Or nurse practitioner. So the whole system fails at the very first stop, because they have nowhere to go. Where do they go? A walk-in clinic or an ER? Those are their options. Yeah. I'm going to flip this around to just have this thought. How long is it going to take us, even if all the things that you're going to suggest, and Dr. Smart is going to suggest tomorrow and Tuesday, to the premiers, how long will it take to get the healthcare system into shape where it's actually responsive to the needs of the people who pay for it, you and me? That's a question we can't answer, and it's funny because yesterday an accountant asked me that, and he just deals with numbers. And he says, Linda, when you give me the numbers of vacancy in one province and then versus the new graduates, 
it will take years and years and years. I said, yes, but what we need to do is stop the bleed. We need to stop the nurses from leaving, the one in two, the 20% of all healthcare workers that are going to retire early. We need to stop that and then start looking at how do we do it better? How do we uh, make it a better primary care, better home care, better mental health? The list goes on. And, and, you know, what I really liked about your introduction, Roy, is that they're blaming it on the pandemic. But the way I see it is the pandemic also showed that when we were in a health crisis, the federal government stepped up and really uh, stepped up and helped the provinces and territories. They need to do this in this health human resource crisis, and they need to step up. And our message to all the premiers and the prime minister is nurses, doctors, the other healthcare teams, we stepped up during the pandemic, and we're still there because the pandemic is not over. It's mm-hmm. time for them to show us yeah. their real respect and yeah. uh, really come with solutions. Yeah. So uh, I saw an email. I'm just I was trying to find it, but there's so many coming in. Um, and the, the person who sent the email said, well, one of the things we could do is just go and hire uh, the best medical professionals in other parts of the world, pay them extra to come to Canada. But I'm guessing, you tell me if I'm right or wrong about this, but I'm guessing that medical professionals are at a premium and Canada wouldn't be the only country. I don't even know if we're doing this, mm-hmm. but Canada wouldn't be the only country trying to grab the very best of medical professionals from another jurisdiction. Not that that's necessarily fair, but that's how the system, that's how it works in the world. Mm-hmm. It, it, would, that be, uh, would that be correct? You know, that there's a lot of people competing for the limited numbers of, 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 of healthcare professionals who might be available. Yeah, you're right. But we also forget that we already have the best in the world working in Canada, from the best medical specialists to the best nursing teams and others. Uh, We just need to take care of them and respect them, and they will attract. You know, I always say retention recruitment, because if you can't retain your staff, you will never be able to recruit, and it doesn't matter the price. How many specialists did we recruit in community XYZ? They got their housing, their children, their spouses, got jobs, and they didn't stay because they couldn't do their job properly. Mm. And that's where we need to work together and say, yes, come and work in Canada. Come and work in my community, and I guarantee you, you will be the best doctor, the best nurse ever, because we're going to give you the proper staff to do it. Is it necessary, to hyperbole here, metaphoric and hyperbole, is it necessary to blow this thing up and, and reinvent it? so that there's a complete new approach, maybe taking the best of what exists in other countries that is working in other countries and adapted and using them here. Roy, maybe I've been uh, around too long, but how many commissions have we had on healthcare? You know, uh, 2002, the Roy uh, Romano Commission, 2004 was the health accord where it was the health for the next generation, mostly dealt with the financial aspect. And then we hit a recession in 2008. We had the wait time alliance. Uh, we don't need another study. We know what we need. We need primary health care. That is key because we as individuals have to take care of ourselves to make sure we don't go in those hospitals. We don't go into those long-term so facilities. Yeah. So that, that, those are the basics. 
We need proper housing. We need a national pharmacare program. We need mental health services. You know, we need good jobs. All of that is part of the social fabric that will keep us healthy. But the politicians have to be on the same page. But when that doesn't work, you need to be able to go and get an ambulance to go to the ER and get services and not end up in a line of... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wait times and beds and hallways. 